everybody, and welcome to another episode of Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. This week we are doing 1984's Gremlins. A boy inadvertently breaks three important rules concerning his new pet and unleashes a horde of malevolently mischievous monsters on a small town. So not our typical holiday fair. I don't know. This is a pretty Christmassy movie, damn it. It is pretty Christmassy. Would it surprise you that it was released in June? No, not really. It was originally supposed to be released in December, but they rushed production when they realized that they did not have anything going up against Ghostbusters or Indiana Jones. Like there was no no competition in the season. Huh. So like we got to rush this. This is the fourth highest grossing film of 1984. And this was released the exact same weekend as Ghostbusters. That just tells you the quality of the films that were coming out in 1984. Oh, would you like to see the top 10? Sure, why not? Tell me. Number 10, Purple Rain. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a big fucking deal. Number 9, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. That, that is a very mediocre, I can sit and watch this on a rainy day movie. Romancing the Stone, uh. which I love. I haven't Love. seen it in so long. It's so good. Both those movies. It took me a long time to realize that Jewel of the Nile and the Ransom of Stone were like, <laughs> they went together. Yep. Footloose. Yeah. Police Academy. Mm. The Karate Kid. Yeah. Then Gremlins, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Beverly Hills Cop, and number one is Ghostbusters. It's a good year. That's a good year. And a lot of comedies. This is right around the time where comedies were king. I mean, mm -hmm. you had the Dan Aykroyds and Bill Murrays of the world mm -hmm. alongside the emergence of Eddie Murphy mm -hmm. coming off SNL and jumping on like 48 hours. Yeah. Beverly Hills Cop was a next step forward for that. Another interesting thing about this year and this movie is that this movie and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom are credited with inspiring the MPAA to create the PG-13 rating because so many people felt that the movie was too violent for a PG, but not quite violent enough for an R-rated movie. Nothing so, yeah. violent happens per se to anybody that we see. It's implied. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That it happens to humans. Mm -hmm. The only real horrible deaths we see are of gremlins. Yeah, which they deserve. <laughs> How did you not see this movie? Didn't ever really watch any horror style movies. Mm -hmm. And it was ne we were always an action movie type mm -hmm. family for the longest time. By the time I got to the age where I was just watching whatever I wanted to watch, one, we had the foreign film thing that we've talked about. Yeah. But honestly, the first thing I came into was more the prestige drama type thing. My first rated R movie was Gladiator. Uh, it's kind of sad. Not really. It was an awesome movie at the time, and I still think it holds up as a pretty good movie, all things considered. And the first rated R movie at home, it wasn't the first rated R movie at I home. I remember you saying The Matrix. The Matrix was one of the key ones I clued in on. Mostly because I remember my mom just being like, I watched this. This really doesn't deserve an R rating. And it didn't by today's no. standards. No. But she was like, it's just weird, but you'll really enjoy it. Yeah, and it was a great movie. I remember seeing, I remember seeing that film in the theater just being like, holy shit, this movie just changed movies. How do we feel about the movie? Are we, are we, are we pro? Are we anti? Can I be both? Yes. <laughs> We've seen way worse films. We have seen worse films. 
I enjoy the premise and the story mm-hmm. of this movie a lot. Because Gizmo's fucking amazing. But a lot of this movie is executed so poorly True. in terms of acting. Yes. At a certain point, it's very hard to enjoy. I feel like this is a very clunky script. I think it's very clunky dialogue. I think the script itself is actually pretty taut and good. And I also think if you had actors who knew what the hell they were doing, Mm -hmm. they may have elevated this script way more than it was. All right. Well, we're going to start with a writer as we normally do. Uh, And it's Chris Columbus. We've spoken about him previously when we made David's finally watch The Goonies. (laughs) Actually, it was during that episode, so if you want to hear us go way into it, he sold the Goonies with this script. It was kind of a two-for deal. So his writing credits prior to this movie were the film Reckless, Goonies, and then this. And after this, he did a lot more directing, but he wrote Only the Lonely, Nine Months, Christmas with the Cranks, and he is working on, he's credited with the characters, but I know he's working with them for Goonies 2 and Gremlins 3. And then he's also well known for directing Adventures in Babysitting, Home Alone 1 and 2, Stepmom, Harry Potter's 1 and 2, Rent, the Percy Jackson series. And he was a producer on the very recent and also quite enjoyable The Christmas Chronicles on Netflix. This script went through a few drafts before shooting was finalized. His original version had the gremlins killing the dog, cutting off the mom's head, and tossing it down the stairs. But the director, Joe Dante, and Warner Brothers thought it needed to be a slightly more family-oriented film. Yeah, this is the family-friendly version of a monster horror movie. Mm -hmm. The idea for the creatures, he came up with those from his loft apartment in the garment district in Manhattan when he was going to NYU. He said, by day it was pleasant enough, but at night it sounded like a platoon of mice would come out and hear them skittering around in the blackness. And that was really creepy. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And he lived in the garment district when it was really bad in New York. (laughs) And just a little fun fact, he wrote this, and then he directed Home Alone and Home Alone 2, and all three of these movies include a clips from It's a Wonderful Life. Clearly has a thing for that. And gadgets. He likes gadgets. Yeah. Which I'm all into. How do we feel about the writing? Like, I enjoy everything about the main premise of the script. Mm -hmm. That's, again, the hardest part to figure out. Is this dialogue bad, or are the actors just so piss poor at delivering it? See, I really feel like it's the dialogue. It's kind of ridiculous. And then there's not a lot of it. Because there's so much that is just gibberish from the gremlins or them going, which is fine. But then it's like when the humans are talking, they have to give us the exposition. Or then we have to have that moment where Kate explains why she hates Christmas. Which is, which like, is the worst fucking premise of all time. It's, it's insane. Like, it should have just been like, my dad died at Christmas. Like, the whole story is so convoluted and ridiculous. Like, your dad's been dead in the chimney for, for a week. Come he on. He broke his neck in the chimney. He what died the instantly. Fuck? No. Halfway through the movie, the script completely disintegrates. Yeah. That's really what it is. The first half of this movie that we watched the other night, I was like, I like this. The story mm-hmm. is good. It keeps pace. moving on. We hit that bar scene with the gremlins and all momentum just stops. It just dies on the vine. Because that is nearly 10 minutes of just watching fucking puppets. And honestly, it's not necessary to the movie. It's fun, though. It is fun. Them in the movie theater is the most fun. It is, absolutely. And have them in the bar for like 
a minute. Yeah, that went on too long. And also, why is she still there? Like, why would you entertain this for as long as she does? That's what's so stupid. Like, she's serving them. The implication is that they are threatening her if she tries to get away. But there's no good indication of that. I don't know that that's a problem in the script. I think that's an execution issue. We could have had some visual cue to let us know they will not let her leave. She has to do this. They have Mm -hmm. trapped her into doing it. Let's move on to our director, Joe Dante. Before this, he did Piranha, The Howling, and The Twilight Zone movie. And after, he went on to do Explorers, that really crazy film with Ethan Hawke, where they're in a, a VW bug in space. The Burbs, Looney Tunes back in action. He did a ton of television. He did the whole series Splatter TV. And then he's just done a lot of episodes. He did several episodes of Hawaii Five-0, the recent reboot. And he's still going. He's still working. He's got a good reputation as an 80s director. Mm-hmm. And I think he does reasonably well with what he's got. This is a film that has so many production issues because of the gremlins themselves. That's where all the focus went. How do we make these things work? Because this was before CGI. So none of this is CGI'd. Yeah. It's all puppets and animatronics. And that makes things complicated. And he's not fucking Spielberg. Who is the executive producer. And he had complete creative control over the whole movie. But he did relinquish it. They wanted to cut all the stuff with Santa and Santa's speech because they they just they didn't like the tone. And Steven Spielberg could have done it. But Joe Dante kept fighting for it. And Steven was like, it's just film. So, like, I respect that part on Steven being like, my job as a producer is to help make the movie get made and push it along. All I get is flashbacks to Jaws and the stories of Jaws of Spielberg having a giant mechanical issue, can't fix it, so brilliantly decides to write around it. And that's what makes Jaws the amazing classic that it is. Because you have to wait so long to see that shark, and that was all out of necessity. Well, okay, so... At one point, after seeing the first cut of this film, which, okay, there is a cut of this movie that is two hours and 40 minutes. Steven Spielberg said, there's too many gremlins. Get rid of all of them and change it to people. Just change the title to people. No. <laughs> Just, no. That was but here's the, the thing. Spielberg would have done that and then probably made it amazing. Because that's his brain. But it only could have been done by him. Yeah, I think Joe Dante... I mean, like, I don't want to say he did a bad job, but it's like you needed somebody with better vision or more experience to do this film. And I think it should have been Steven Spielberg or it should have been Steven Spielberg's first choice. This is like a weird who could have been better. Uh, Okay. Steven Spielberg originally wanted Tim Burton. But at the time, Tim Burton had never directed a full length film. He could have done this. This was right up his alley. Absurd, dark Christmas movie. Yeah, it could he could have done really well. It would not have been as lighthearted in tone as it needed to be. Tim Burton would have made it way too dark, and this movie should not be that. I think it's the wrong choice. I think Stephen would have been much better for this movie. I think one of the problems is they're trying to have too many lead characters in this film. We've got Billy. We've got Dad the Inventor Dude, which they pay way too much attention to that storyline. It's just ridiculous. It's just bad and unnecessary. Then we have the storyline of the whole town is going broke. 
also not necessary. And then we have cute little Gizmo. He's adorable. You have to take care of him properly. And then we get these creepy gremlins that are taking over the town. And then we have the leader of the bad gremlins, which is Stripe. It's just too many characters and plots. Ultimately, we agree that we should kick out Joe Dante. Like, not because he's bad, but he's just not the right fit. I think Joe Dante is the right kind of guy for this movie. Based on his oeuvre, based on the burbs and other movies that he's done that are very well regarded. If you want to hear some really fun people talk about the burbs, go listen to our good friends, Aaron and James on Unabashedly Obsessed, one of the recent episodes for their Teeth Thanksgiving season. They talk about the burbs. Chris Columbus is the wrong guy to write the final draft of this movie. That's Chris fair. Columbus gave a really good script that somebody else needed, needed to, to polish. Finish. And that's the problem. That's fair. I'll I'll grant you that. He did better with Goonies. So we've kind of got two sets of cast here. We can either do the people cast or we can talk about the gremlins themselves. We should talk about the people first. Okay. So we'll start with the people and we'll start with our very first person we see. Hoyt Axton as Randall Peltzer. Before this, he had been basically in every television show known to man. But he is most known as a folk singer. Um, he did Joy to the World, The Pusher, No No Song, Greenback Dollar, Della and the Dealer, and Never Been to Spain. He has like 70 plus credits to his name as being on the soundtracks to things. So then he's just popped up in TV. Though he followed the basic outline of the script, he is said to have improvised nearly all of his lines, which makes sense for all of the demonstrating of the different inventions Mm -hmm. because that would be really hard to follow a very direct script but the way he does deliver it does sound like this is how what i've practiced in my head except that every other time he feels so disengaged from the rest of the movie because you don't care and it's a whole subplot that's not necessary dad buys creature gives creature to kid bye dad see you at the end of the film i don't need any more information about you the the other way you bring him in is that he's there in the house and gets attacked along with mom or he's, you know, he can be and still be an inventor, but it's like he, they've got all these gadgets in the house and none of them work properly. And, Until oh. they're needed to get rid of the gremlins. Well, see, I would have loved a subplot that like Gizmo, okay, that's what they call him. Like he's actually really good at fixing things. Like if that was just a funny little trait about him is that he just fixes the invention so they work properly. Hmm. That would have been so fucking fun. Yeah, I know. They, they missed... The opportunity to tie that story thread together because it could have worked, but they just left it by the wayside. could totally fix this movie. Next, we have Corey Feldman as Pete Fontaine. Man, he plays an asshole kid next door very, very well. He's been so much better in so many other things. But it's funny. The second he showed up and he started being a sarcastic pain in the ass, like, well, that's Corey Feldman. He's really good at that. He does it for about five minutes, but my problem is for the rest of the movie, he's just seems like he's bored. He should have been the little brother and not the boy next door. That's the problem, because they could have used him so much more. What's amazing is The Goonies comes out the same year, and he's fucking fantastic in The Goonies. Yeah. He really is. And in this, he just seems like he's got nothing. He's giving absolutely nothing on screen. And so I'm like, I know you're better than this. So either you were here for a paycheck and just did not give a shit. I mean, we... Or something else was going on, but you are completely distracted. Next, we have Harry Carey Jr. He plays Mr. Anderson. This dude has been in every Western film known to man film and television and he was very notably in back to the future three and tombstone after this film this is a western dude I mean, he's fine whatever 
He's there. Next, we have Zach Galligan as Billy Peltzer. Before this, he was in an ABC after-school special called A Very Delicate Matter. And this That is the one where a dude has to tell his girlfriend that he has gonorrhea. <laughs> and then he was in a movie called Nothing Lasts Forever. After this movie, he did a bunch of TV films, one called Surviving with uh, Molly Ringwald. He was in Gremlins 2 in 1990. And he's just done a lot of TV since. Fuck this dude, man. Fuck Get rid dude. of him. He's <gasps> so terrible. He is seriously one of the worst parts of this movie. Really? You know, the scene that really killed it for me was, so his mom's getting attacked in the house, right? And he's running up the street. Mm-hmm. And he's like half jogging, barely motivated. And then comes in the house and is like, huh? Oh my God. I've got to hit him with a bat. He has no emotion. There is nothing reading on his face. He is so completely out of his league. I'll agree that he's not great in the action sequences, but I like him in everything else. I I think he's one of the biggest reasons this movie doesn't succeed. Like, I really think he is part of the problem. They need somebody who's got more charisma and more ability to react to other people because he just drags this movie down. Well, Steven Spielberg urged the casting of him because of the chemistry between him and Phoebe Cates during auditions. Like, they had the best chemistry. Maybe it's the the way they're shot. I don't buy it any of it from him see i like him and i agree with the action sequences he's not great but i love him when he's with gizmo and i i liked him at the bank i like him with phoebe cates and i like i liked him i want somebody who can convince me way more than him next we move on to phoebe cates is kate berenger before this she was in paradise and fast times at ridgemont high in private school after this she went on to do shag hearts of dixie gremlins 2 drop dead fred princess caribou and the anniversary party and that was her last thing that she did that was in 2001 she is married to kevin klein and they live in france Good for them. At least one of her screams in the tavern is genuine because an enormous cockroach crawled out in front of her during a take. Gross. She is so stiff in this film. She's doing her damnedest, honestly. She really is. That because her co-star is li- giving her nothing to work from. See, I didn't read that at mm-hmm. All. Mm-hmm. I did not read that at all. But the scene, like, she's horrible in the scene where she's talking about what happened with her dad. And now, granted, that story is garbage, but she doesn't do anything with it. There's like, nothing to convince you of, of it. There just isn't. No. Like, I don't think any actor, Meryl might be able to pull it off, but I, nobody else no, can. The problem is that you have to play the absurdity of that, of that story. It happened so long ago. You have to recognize how ridiculous this story sounds. So that's how you need to tell it as an adult. Because that's what they are. They're adults. I think she's doing the best job that she can with a really shitty script for her. Mm -hmm. And again, a co-lead who has nothing to offer her in return. Move on to Polly Holiday as Ruby Deagle, the richest woman in town. Before this, she was in All the President's Men, and then she was in like every television show known to man. And then after this, she was in Mrs. Doubtfire, The Parent Trap. She was on Home Improvement on TV. She was in the movie Stick It and The Heartbreak Kid. I definitely recognized her when I saw her. I didn't recognize her, but she's the best part of the movie. She's hilarious. I mean, she named her cats Drachma, Kopeck, uh, Kopeck, and Dollar Bill. Old Dollar Bill. She's just a rich 
mean old lady, but she gets killed by her electric stair chair by the Kremlins, uh-huh. which I did really love that. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. And then we get Frances Lee McCain as Mrs. Peltzer, Billy's mom. Before this, she was in, again, all of the television, and she was in Footloose. And then after this, she was in Back to the Future, Stand By Me, It Takes Two, the Girlfriend Experience TV show. She's fine. She's generic 80s mom, but it would have been nice to have somebody a little bit more invested. You know, she epically killed a bunch of gremlins. And she, like, went after her. Like, I loved when she she gets a new knife and then she's like, wait, no, I'm getting two. <laughs> and then goes on. I was like, that's right, you need two knives. Except that everything reads as... I am now doing what I was told to do in this set piece, and I'm going to go to this next spot. I wanted more acting. So now we get into, like, our Arpons. This one isn't really an Arpon, but I don't care to go through all of his credits. Judge Reinhold is Gerald Hopkins. Hello, Judge Reinhold. Hello, how are you? Also Uh, one of the better parts of the movie, even though he's only in it for a few minutes. Yeah, and this is after he had already done Fast Times with Phoebe Cates. I really love him being the asshole douchebag. He's That's a really good lane for him. <laughs> He's really good at that. Next, we have Nikki Cat, who's playing one of the school children. I know that's not like a super big name for a lot of people, but he was in Dazed and Confused, Death Proof, Planet Terror, Boiler Room, and he was in Behind the Candelabra. He's one of those guys who's just kind of like Rory Cochran. Like he's had a few bigger things and he's just kind of in the background. Tracy Wells. Was also a school child. She is the daughter from Mr. Belvedere. Then we have Jonathan Banks as Deputy Brent. That's Jonathan Banks? Uh huh. Holy shit. Mike Ermintrout himself. Okay. First of all, very good acting. And yeah. I was just like, oh, this is a cool comedic guy. And now that I know that it's Jonathan Banks, Jonathan I was like, Banks. oh shit. First of all, he has hair, so that's part of the problem. <laughs> Yeah. But he's not being Mr. Gruff Bobster guy. He's like goofy, drunk deputy. That's great. And then in the car, Sheriff, we really need to go. I think we should go now. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have Tom Bergeron as the TV news reporter. Oh, my God. Who is, if you don't know who Tom Bergeron, he is the, one of the current hosts of Dancing with the Stars. Wow. All right. So that's our like main cast. All right. So now we're going to talk about the Gremlin cast. <laughs> there are three names that you will know immediately. The first one is Frank Welker, mm-hmm. and he played Stripe Mogwai. So he did most of those voices. You'll know him. He does the voice of Curious George. He does Fred on Scooby-Doo, and he's also done Scooby-Doo a couple of times. Like, Matthew Lillard's the main Scooby-Doo, but he's done it as well. Uh-huh. Uh, and he's Khan in Mulan. He is... The highest paid actor in Hollywood because of the sheer volume of work he does. And the fact that all that work is done for Disney, Warner Brothers. Like every cartoon movie you've seen in your lifetime. That is high profile as well. Even some of the lower profile direct-to-TV stuff. Yeah. He's done it. He does do main character roles, Mm -hmm. but a lot of what he does are animal character voices. (laughs) When they need somebody to sound like an animal, but also have personality. Yes. That's that's... why why Curious George was such a fit for him. Yeah. We've heard a lot of Curious George in our house. I tried looking at his credits. I was like, there are 830 credits to his name. I'm not looking through all this because I will cry. It's insane. He was one of them. Michael Winslow, which you know is the dude making all the voices in the Police Academy movies. And... The sweeps, the bleeps, and the creeps, and yep. space balls. Yep, he does all of that. And then the voice of Gizmo, 
which is Howie Mandel, which is precious. If you have ever watched the show Bobby's World, which is Howie Mandel's animated TV series, you can totally hear Gizmo in that. Uh-huh. I had forgotten that he had done this and I was like, oh, he's doing Bobby. Yeah. It's great. It's just way lower and squeakier, but it's Bobby. Bright light. Bright light. Bright light. Bye, Billy. Which is heartbreaking. And then we, I just want to list them, even though I didn't, I don't, just because they deserve credit, but I didn't go into all of their credits because they do a lot of this stuff. We have Peter Cullen, Bob Bergen, Michael Sheehan, Bob Holt, Fred Newman, and Mark Dodson are the other actors credited as the voices of the Gremlins and the Mogwai. I've seen some of those names in Disney type stuff before. Yeah, so, Michael yeah. Sheehan, Bob Holt. Like, I've seen a lot of them, and it's just like, it's a ton of the same type of work. They got the most famous voice actors, plus Howie Mandel. <laughs> He was he was a good stand-up dude at that point. Frank Welker actually recommended him for the voice of Gizmo. Uh, well, there you go. All right, so let's get into some of the, the Gremlins trivia, because I, I pulled together the stuff that was specific to them. The term Gremlin was originally coined by a by Welsh author, Roald Dahl, in his story Gremlin Lore about fictitious, mischievous elves that were said to cause unexplained damage to Royal Air Force planes. That story was actually commissioned by Walt Disney, but never made. Although Warner Brothers did it for a Bugs Bunny cartoon. It was Chris Wallace's workshop that created the Gremlins themselves. He didn't understand the premise of what the Gremlins were until they got to the caroling scene. And he was like, oh, they're people. (laughs) They're parodies of people. Okay. He's like, once they were dressed in clothing, he understood what needed to happen with them. Yeah. Which I get. Like, it's very abstract. And because they don't have any real lines per se it's very hard to understand what are they what are we doing with them how are they supposed to act what are they supposed to do so what we kind of get is this hybrid furball that mm-hmm. is a little tiny dog and a cat mm-hmm. that then has all of the personality of a person exactly and that is what a mogwai winds up being <laughs> the gremlins were molded and inspired by the japanese chin dog breed like, uh, what, like where the ears come from. In Cantonese, Mogwai means devil, demon, or gremlin. And the Mandarin pronunciation is Magui. Chris Wallace suggested they use puppets instead of stop motion, which was originally proposed. And as a compromise, the studio suggested a spider monkey in a suit, which was then tested in Joe Dante's office. The animal went crazy, tore the office apart, and started defecating everywhere. Dante screamed and screamed at the trainer to get them under control and then looked at Wallace and said, so puppets. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. Fucking studio executives in the 80s. I guarantee you that was done after five bumps of coke being like, you know what we should do? We should put a fucking spider monkey in a costume. Yeah. Yeah. Originally, Stripe and Gizmo were the same character, but Steven Spielberg insisted that one of the gremlins be a good guy with whom the audience could identify. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. Thank you. Good job. God bless you. This became really stressful for Chris Wallace. He designed the gizmo puppet only for the actions that happened in the first half of the movie. So that puppet then had to do a lot more than what they originally intended. Well. Well, I get it. I mean, Chris, you should have anticipated that. Yeah. 
Again, Steven should have just made this fucking movie because he would have had this figured out from I the beginning. Agree. Little to no actual dialogue for the Gremlins and Mogwai exists in the script. In addition to several instances of onset rewrites and changing or adding to the script, the voiceovers were mostly ad libs and repeating snippets of things that they had just performed. Howie Mandel actually ended up recording Gizmo's lines phonetically for foreign dubs of the movie just so that it could continue to be successful with the worldwide audiences. Good Lord. Yeah, that's insane. Zach Galligan recounted in an interview that there was there was no CGI, so all of the gremlins were animatronics, and they each cost between thirty dollars and $40,000. So every day when they left the set, the security would check everyone's trunks to make sure they weren't taking anything with them. What was the budget for this movie? It was $11 million. Okay. Which is not bad, but a lot of that went to the Gremlins. That's somewhere in the like 50 million range now, I think. Yeah. The gizmo puppets were particularly frustrating because they were smaller and they broke down more. And so to satisfy the crew, the scene was included where they hang gizmo on the wall and throw darts at him. And this was included on a list that the crew created known as the Horrible things to do to Gizmo list. <laughs> it's hard to take because we love Gizmo, but, but I get it when you're in the middle of that crap. I, I get the need to get your frustration out when you're dealing with difficult tech. Having been on that side, like being a technical theater person who's been on a crew for a horrible fucking show where you just want to murder everyone because everything that could possibly go wrong is going wrong. And then you have a director who's the devil. I get it. One night, the problems with the puppets was so severe that the entire cast fell asleep because they were waiting so long. That's all of our gremlin specific trivia. (laughs) Now you want to get into the the movie trivia? How bad was this cocaine fantasy? There's no mention of cocaine in any of the trivia. Which means it was epically bad and no one will talk about it. The set for Kingston Falls, which is where this takes place, is the exact same as Back to the Future because it takes place on the Warner Brothers lot. Yeah, no, it looks exactly the same. It's the Universal Studios back lot, sorry. It totally looks the same. Yeah, that movie theater that they blew up, it was blown up in Back to the Future and Back to the Future Part 2. But, but... Did a better job with Hill County. They really did. The start of the movie, the movie theater says it's showing A Boy's Life and Watch the Skies, which were working titles for E.T. and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah, there were tons of that shit. Oh, tons of E.T. Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg has a cameo in this movie. When we are at the invention convention, he's the dude in the wheelchair. I just realized who should direct this movie. Who? Robert Zemeckis. <gasps> Ooh, interesting. Robert Zemeckis should have directed this movie. I accept this as a suggestion. Yeah, but uh, he was busy working on Back to the Future, so there's no way that would have happened. The scene in the department store where Stripe attacks Billy with the chainsaw was not originally in the script, but it was added as an homage to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Boo. Unnecessary additions to a movie that's already problematic. <laughs> The original script contained a scene where the gremlins attacked McDonald's and they started eating customers instead of burgers. (laughs) The filmmakers wanted to use Snow White and the Seven Dwarves in the movie theater because it was released on December 21st, 1927. There is some controversy. A lot of people believe that if Walt Disney had been alive when this film was made, he would not have allowed them to use this film. 
Yeah, well, fuck that guy. Well, you know, Disney wasn't like, I mean, Disney World existed, but it wasn't like as big as a freaking deal. So I think they just needed some extra money at this point. Also, Steven, this would also would not happen now. No, but Stephen was also like best friends with Bob Iger and those guys and they had, and Michael Eisner. So like they had taken over and I'm sure they were like, yeah, use the rights. I don't care. In the bar scene, the video game the Gremlins are playing is Star Wars. Oh, okay. I, I was like, I know this game. What is this game? And yeah, it's Star Wars. Director Joe Dante prefers Gremlins 2, the new batch, to this movie, which he did not direct. So I, find, so I find that funny. I think we're going to have to watch Gremlins 2. I just have to decide, is this going to be a random or is it going to go during our horror film? We'll have series? to see. We'll have to, re- we'll have to revisit that, but at some point we're going to have to see Gremlins 2 because we're completionists here. <laughs> we like to finish things. In this movie, the Amblin Entertainment logo made its first on-screen appearance. On the Deagle real estate sign, the hours of operation are only 10.30 to 11.15 Monday through Friday. <laughs> Man, I wish I could work that schedule. Well, when you're a rich, crotchety old woman, maybe you can. Who takes over the whole town and forces everybody out of their houses. Deleted scenes reveal that Mrs. Deagle was forcing people out of their houses to put down a strip mall, effectively destroying Kingston Falls. Oh my God, that would have made everything so much it better. Would have, it would have given her some context for why she's so evil. She's specifically meant to be Ebenezer Scrooge before he's reformed. You know what? That two hour 40 cut of this movie might actually be Good Might have better. some context that we could have used. I think that could be part of our problem is there's a whole bunch of stuff that we're missing. Okay, so this is my final bit of trivia. At the end, Gizmo pulls the window blind that exposes Stripe to the sunlight. You're a hero. You're amazing, Gizmo. Originally, there were supposed to be two, and Gizmo was going to do the first one, and then Billy was going to do the last one. But the scene was edited because Steven Spielberg, again, everything good in this movie is a result of his hand. Yup. He removed that because he wanted to make sure that Gizmo was the hero of the movie and not Billy. So he has to be the one responsible for the demise of Stripe. Correct. Fully agree. Fully agree. Now, before we get to our final ratings, I do have one bit of who could have been better for Billy. Okay. We have Zach Galligan. Mm-hmm. Two actors that were considered. Judd Nelson, Emilio Estevez. Please put Emilio in there. I was just about to say Emilio. I like Emilio over Judd any day. So he had just come off Repo Man, mm-hmm. which is weird and not really great, but in the in another way, really amazing for what it was. Uh-huh. And Emilio Estevez is great in that movie. He would have been so much better because he has actual charisma. I agree. Again, a block of wood would have been better than Zach Galligan, in my opinion. <laughs> But, but give me Emilio any day. Judd, I could deal with. Mm -hmm. But if I got to pick, give me. I want Emilio. Give me the sheen that didn't change. Emilio and Phoebe Cates. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. So, final ratings. This is a tough one. Yeah. I'm going to go with my first instinct because I still enjoy it and I love Gizmo. I'm giving it a three. Like the problems that you had with it, I have too, but I just, they don't ruin anything for me. It's not great. There's definitely problems with it, but I'm really curious to watch Gremlins 2 because I don't believe I've seen any of Gremlins 2. I'm going to say two and a half. Okay. Because I love the concept. I love the vibe that they've got of It's a Wonderful Life meets weird, twisted horror story. Okay. 
And there are so many little pieces that are really great about it. The acting is just, it starts off where it's, well, the acting's not great, but it's an 80s schlock movie, so I can get over that. Yeah. But about halfway through, it turns into the acting's so bad that I'm not really wanting to watch the rest of this movie. Mm -hmm. And yet, the gremlins and the story that's actually going on, Mm -hmm. while all these stupid subplots are happening, is still really good. And Gizmo's great. And the best part of the movie. And so, because it's so all over the place, I'm just going to go right down the middle and say two and a half. A movie I would watch again. Mm Mm-hmm. And then be prepared for, ugh, I got to slog through the second part of this. But nevertheless, still holds up as a pretty fun movie. All right. So what are we doing next time? Well, you want to go deeper, darker, creepier? Sure. Why not? December 5th was Krampus knocked. I don't know what that is. Well, that is the night in which Krampus comes around and punishes all the naughty children. What's a Krampus? Well, we're going to find out because we're going to watch Krampus. (gasps) Oh, no. So until next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Facebook.